You know, I've always heard stories of people whose parents carried them to church. <laughs> we just got to see a great example of, of such things. Well, we are glad that you're here this morning. Uh, glad that you have come out to worship with us. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And this morning we finish uh, the 12th message through the book of Ephesians and uh, wrap that up this morning. Since I have uh, been here, which interestingly enough, uh, in about two weeks will be six months, which is, is very hard for me to believe, um, we will have finished uh, Galatians and Ephesians and we'll be moving uh, in two weeks um, to the Psalms, and we're not going to go through all of them because that would take the next three and a half years or so to do that. So uh, we're going to do seven of them, and uh, uh, going into August or through the rest of August and through September. And when we finish with those seven Psalms, the first Sunday in October, we are going to begin for the entire month of October to have what I'm calling Missions Month or Missions Emphasis Month. And each Sunday we will take the service to emphasize uh, mission work that we are doing as a church and mission work that is going on uh, throughout the world. And we are going to have, during that month, some very uh, special guests are going to be with us. Um, the Director of Missions Development for the State Convention of North Carolina is going to be preaching that first Sunday. Uh, on the second Sunday in October, uh, our, our youth minister, Fred Brown, is going to be preaching. Um, but also that morning, um, Lewis Smith, who is from Baptist Children's Home, is going to come and he is going to share with us uh, his testimony of how he was adopted and how God saved him uh, through that and how God is now using him to reach uh, children in our state. Um, the third Sunday of the month, I'm going to preach, but we're going to have several people speaking that morning about how the money that we give each week uh, goes to missions. And actually, we're going to show you kind of how it spreads out, how when you put even one dollar in the offering plate, how that money goes all around the world, uh, how, it, how it helps seminary students go to college, how it helps our missionaries here in North America, and also how it helps uh, start churches uh, with our missionaries overseas. And then... The last Sunday in October uh, is, is, I think, going to be a very special Sunday uh, because the executive director of the entire state convention for North Carolina, Milton Hollowfield, is going to come and preach for us uh, that morning. And uh, that name may not mean anything to you, but trust me, he's important and, and he's coming and is actually uh, looking forward to it, getting to speak with him recently about that. And so he helps direct all the missions that the 4,000 churches 4,000 Baptist churches in North Carolina do. And so he's going to come and share with us that morning about how we can do missions. And the neat thing, I think, is going to be each Sunday, we're going to take a few minutes at the end of the service before lag for each of our speakers to answer questions that you have about missions. And uh, uh, me and the speaker, we're going to sit up here and we're going to talk and engage with you. And we're going to talk about how God is using our church uh, to do work all around the world. And so I'm excited about that. And uh, it's hard to believe, but October is uh, not that far off. 
And so uh, it'll be here soon, and I hope that you'll uh, be looking forward to it. We want to wrap up Ephesians this morning. And if you would, if you're able this morning, I invite you to stand with me. We'll begin reading in verse 10 of chapter 6. And we'll read through uh, the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, Paul writing here says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Sin, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tachachus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You may be seated. Paul finishes his letter by giving them this command. He says there in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If we go back and we think about the last 11 Sundays as we have looked at Paul's letter to the Ephesians as we have looked at everything that he has laid out. We have seen him talk about the importance of the family. We have seen him talk about the need for grace in Jesus Christ. We have seen him talk about the need to take the gifts that we have been given in Christ and to use them in a mighty way to be the church and to be a family and to be one body. And he has laid out all of this for them. He has laid out the new life available in Christ. If you go back into chapter 4, he has told them to walk in love, being imitators of Christ back in chapter 5. And so he comes here to the end and he's wrapping up this letter. This letter that would have taken him a long time to compose. A letter that he would have put much thought and effort into. 
a letter that he most likely would have went through several drafts as he edited it so he would get it just right to send it to them because he knew that once they received it, it would be read in their churches and it would be proclaimed and people would listen to it and their lives would be impacted. So he comes here to verse 10 of chapter 6 and he says, Finally, wrapping all these things up, putting all these things together, he says, be strong in the Lord. He doesn't say here, be strong in what I've told you. He, he doesn't say, be strong in what you've learned. Or, or be strong in the message that you have received. He, he says, be strong in the Lord. Friends, that's really our starting point. And as Paul puts that in the end of his letter, it, it would most likely be that thing that would stick in their mind the most. It would be the last thing that they would hear. It would be what they walk away with. And it's what I want you to walk away with from the study that we have had here in Ephesians. All that other stuff, everything else that we try to use in life, everything else that we try to take and put into our life and, and use it as our strength and use it as our guide, it it does not work. It will not work. It will not come together. But what he says is be strong in the Lord, look, and in the strength of his might. God is able. God is able to do abundantly more than we could ever imagine, than we could ever think about, than we could ever wrap our minds around. And so Paul tells them, be strong in the Lord and use the power, use the strength of his might, his abilities. All of this stuff that we've seen in the book of Ephesians, and I would say all of this stuff that we ever hear preached, that we ever hear taught our ability to do anything for God and to live in any manner for God, is based on the decision we make to be strong in Him. We want to be strong in ourselves. We know what that looks like. We know what that's going to be like. We know our limits. We know our abilities. And so we want to often be strong in ourselves. But the reality is we must be strong in Him. I posted online yesterday the words from a song and it it struck me as I was driving down the road and I, I heard these words coming and, and the the song is called my deliverer and he sings about the deliverer coming and throughout the Bible especially in the Old Testament we see that imagery of a of God as deliverer us being enslaved and God delivering but what was interesting what struck me in the song is that at one point the singer he begins to reflect on himself. And he realizes there are times when he doubts himself. There are times when he doubts his heart. There are times when he doubts his abilities. But he is confident that God is strong enough. That God is able. 
And so in those times when he doubts his own heart, his own mind, his own abilities, he's able to turn back and look and realize that his deliverer is still there. The one who delivers him from his sin and from his difficulties is still there even in those times of great doubt. And so if we are, as a church and as individuals, going to take what we have seen in this book as we have look through what Paul is teaching us here, if we are going to embrace it and live it and know it, it'll be in the strength of God. It won't be in it won't be in the messages that we've heard. It won't be in the challenges that we've been given. It'll be in our commitment to turn our eyes to Jesus and say, you are enough. You are the one who I can follow. I am setting myself aside. I am putting my ambitions behind me, and I am following after you. That's trusting in the strength of the Lord. Now, how does that look? What, is, what does that look like? Well, he, he gives this imagery here of a battle. He, he wants them to understand that trusting in him is relying on him in the battle that we face. He says in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That is how you and I will go through this life in the strength of God. Now, before he tells them what that armor looks like, and he lays that out, and it's, it's something we're all familiar with, before he does that, he wants to make it clear the battle they are facing. Because I, I, I'm afraid that in Paul's day, and maybe even more so in our day, we have got it in our mind that somehow our battle is different than what it is. I think we have embraced this idea that the battle that we have is it's a physical one. And, and maybe we don't think that it's one where we've got to take up swords or we've got to take up guns and go somewhere and fight. But, but we, have, we have got it in our mind that somehow our battle is going on in this world. It's, it's a fight we're having here. We often show that by spending the bulk of our time fighting battles that are temporary and that aren't going to last forever. When the reality is that our fight, it is a spiritual struggle. It is not a struggle against flesh and blood. Look what he says. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We spend so much of our effort trying to fight flesh and blood battles. We try to fight battles that only have temporary significance. We fight battles in our churches. We fight battles in our communities. We fight battles in our country that are temporary. That don't really matter. See, if they are going to put on the full armor of God, if they're going to put on 
this armor that protects them from the schemes of the devil and then march out into a flesh and blood battle, they're going to be wasting their time. They're going to be worried about things that don't matter. And remember, these are people who are facing persecution. These are people who are facing flesh and blood danger. They're facing people who will come and arrest them, who will beat them, who will take their life. But Paul tells them very plainly, your battle is not flesh and blood. The battle that you are engaged in is spiritual. And let me promise you this, the devil wants nothing more than to get you engaged in flesh and blood battles that do not matter. He wants us to get focused on the wrong things. He wants us focused more on politics than we are on the spiritual condition of our neighbor. He wants us to focus more on our finances than on what we can do for him. He wants us to focus on the things that make us happy in this life instead of the things that are eternal and can never be taken away from us. That's where he wants us to focus. He wants us to care about those things. And if we do, if we focus on those things, if we forget about what is ahead, if we forget about what is important, and trust me, the, the armor that we put on is insignificant. If we're focusing on the flesh and blood battles that are going on today, the evil one doesn't even want to come against us. He's got nothing to fight us on. He can let us go off and take care of ourselves. If we're going to put on the armor of God, it has to be to go into the right battles. It has to be to go into the spiritual battles that we face each and every day. Because if we ignore them for the things that we think might be important but aren't, then we're going to miss it. So he says, put on the armor. So let's look at what we put on. He says it again. He said it in verse 11, put on the whole armor. He comes back to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now look what he says. There is an evil day. And in that evil day, and I would tell you, he's not talking about someday off in the future. He's talking about the day in which they live. He, he's not talking about someday that will be evil one day. He's talking about now. That day that's evil, it's, it's today and it'll be tomorrow. He says, take on the whole armor for that day that you may be able to withstand the evil day, that you can make it through the day. And, having done all, stand firm. That's very important because, guess what? If you go into battle, and you know, we've all seen the movies, or you've read the books, or you've seen your history books with, with these large battles that took place back in the day in which Paul is writing, and they would be thousands of troops on either side and they would run at each other with swords and you would fight hand to hand until one side won. 
The problem is if you run into this battle and you've got your shield and it is strong and firm, but you left your sword in your tent, you are dead. Even more so if you are standing on the front line of battle and you begin to march forward and the archers shoot and you don't have that shield, you're standing there. And all you can do is watch the arrows come at you. So he says, not only put on some of the armor, put on a little bit of the armor, he says, having all of it, you can stand firm. So look what it is. Look first. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth, the belt that it keeps everything together, it, it keeps your pants up, it's a place that you can hold your sword, it's, it's very necessary, and you go in, and guess what? The truth is what holds it all together. See, I think it's so interesting sometimes that, that we as, as believers, we, we fail to see the value of the truth. I'll give you an example. It's, I don't know if it's funny, I, I made a few people angry with it, but we were talking one time, I was in a Bible study group, and we were we were talking, it was around Christmas time, and we, we began to talk about um, Christmas and, and all this stuff going on. I'm be very careful what I say because there are some kids here. But we began to talk about certain realities about Santa Claus. Some of you adults know where I'm going about realities about Santa Claus. And uh, I said, you know, at our house, we, we talk to our kids about where the gifts come from and that Mommy and Daddy work work hard to buy them, and grandma and grandpa and all that. And I, I was given just very harsh treatment about the stance we take at our home with Santa Claus. And people said that it was, it was crazy, it was mean to the kids and all that. And I said, you do realize that when we don't tell someone the truth about something, we in effect are, are lying to them. I'm not saying like you're lying to your kids or anything like that. I mean, you are, but, but I'm not trying to make it out like that. But it was shocking to me that telling the truth would be so looked down upon. And that's a little thing, and it was silly and, and no big deal. But, but if you think about it, we do that very often with things that are much more important. One of the greatest assets you and I have as believers in Christ, is the truth. And we should just be truthful. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes people don't like it. And sometimes people don't want to hear it. And that's fine. But what people need is the truth. What we need is the truth. We don't need to distort things. We don't need to sugarcoat things. We don't need to change things. We need to just tell people truthfully. I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the first thing that Paul lists. Take the belt of truth and put it on. It's what we go into battle. It's so that we can stand in that evil day and we can say, Thus saith the Lord. This is what God has said, and we're going to stand on it. And we're, we're, if, it doesn't, if, it does, if you don't like it, if you don't like what it means, if, it don't, if you don't like what it says about you, that's fine. But this is the truth. We can say it in love, and we can say it with compassion, but it's our first line of defense. It's the first thing that we put on going into battle. Because if we start out wrongly here, if we use a lie 
to start with. If we are untruthful in our dealings, then we can't expect to go into battle and withstand. Because we are fighting against the author of lies. We are fighting against evil and the one who will lie about anything to get his way. And so why would we not want to start out with the truth? Secondly, he says, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate would be armor that was wore over your chest because when you're fighting, especially with swords, if, if you get an injury there, it's normally over pretty quick. Like there's a lot of important stuff right in here. And if it gets cut up or cut out or taken out, it's, it's bad news. It's normally over. So wearing a breastplate of righteousness would, would cover that, right? It would, it would guard our heart. It would guard our vital organs. It is very important. And so when we could take a sword hit and it would bounce off, it would be deflected. We could continue fighting. If you leave that off and you go into battle and the first time you get hit, some places you're going to die real fast and other places you're going to die, but it's going to be real slow and painful. Either way, a direct hit and it's over. But our righteousness protects us from that. Our righteousness protects our heart. And where do we get our righteousness? Where does it come from? It comes from Christ. It doesn't come from something good that we've done. It doesn't come from something we've worked toward. But Christ has given to us His righteousness. When God looks at us, even though we are sinful, even though we have fallen short of His glory, God looks at us and He sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see my good works because they're not enough. I wouldn't want him to see that. I wouldn't want him to see your good works because they're not enough. He would see your evil deeds and they would far outweigh the goodness that you've done. But rather, he looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ. And that breastplate protects us. It guards us as we go into battle. Secondly, verse 15, or thirdly rather, And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace are our shoes. The gospel is what directs us. It's what leads us. And so if the gospel of peace, if the message of Jesus Christ, that, that though we are sinful, though we have fallen short of God's glory, Christ came and died in our place, that gospel is our shoes. It directs us. It, it makes our path for us. It, it shows us where we are going. It, it tells us what to do. It, it makes it possible for us to go. And the great thing about it is it also makes it possible for us to flee. When we are somewhere that we shouldn't be, it's, it's the gospel. It's the message that God has. It's, it's our understanding of who He is that, that shows us when it's time to get out. When it's time not to be there anymore. When we're in a place we shouldn't be. Think about this, when you are a part of a military who has to walk everywhere, you march here, you march there, you march back, you march forth, there's no, there's no hummers to take you anywhere, there's, there's, there's no helicopters to fly you in where you want to land, you just walk. If you don't have good shoes, you're, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get through. You're going to grow weary. You're going to grow tired. 
you're going to have injuries to your feet. But, but with, with good shoes, you can make it. You can walk. You can, you can get there. That's what the gospel does. The gospel covers our feet. It, it makes us, it possible for us to continue on and, and go places that we couldn't walk without them. And that's what the gospel has done. And friends, if we don't put that on, you know, we could have our belt of truth and be truthful and we could have our breastplate that, that keeps us from being attacked. But, but the gospel is what drives us. It's what leads us. It's what takes us where we need to go. And, and he, he, he uses the example of shoes. That's, that's how we're going and that's why we go and the gospel does that. Fourth, he says, in all circumstances... Not some circumstances, all circumstances, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I think this is maybe some of the best injury, uh, imagery of the whole list. You know, if you've, again, ever seen one of those movies or read the book where, where the archers are shooting and you are very helpless when you're standing there being shot at. Not by one arrow. They don't even have to really be that good at a, of an aim. But, but when you have hundreds of people shooting hundreds of arrows straight up in the air and they're all going to fall around you, there's really nowhere to go. And what those arrows would do coming down at that rate of speed was, was pretty traumatic. You didn't stand a chance. But with a good shield, you were able to pull it in front of you and get under it and be protected. And the, the darts or the arrows would hit it and they would fly off. Isn't that the battle that we go through every day? We're just, we're just going through life. We're, we're dealing with all of the stuff that we have to deal with in life. And here is the devil. And he has this, Paul gives this imagery that he is constantly shooting at us. You know, we think about we get to February and you see all of the, uh, the, the hearts and all the fun stuff with Cupid. And, you know, here's Cupid and he's, it's kind of creepy because he's a baby in a diaper flying around. It's creepy to me, but, but he's shooting, right? And he's, you know, if he hits you with his arrow of love. Well, this is kind of the complete opposite of that. Because here's the devil and he is going around. Here's evil and he is going around and he is constantly shooting. And, and when you get hit, it's not love and and hearts and roses, but rather it's death and destruction and sin. But it's our faith, isn't it? Isn't it our faith that when we come under the attack, when we come under the temptation to fall away, when, it, when we come under that, that it's our faith that turns it away? That in those moments we can look at evil, we can look at our sin and go, that's not me. I have faith that God has removed that from my life. I have faith that God is in control. I have faith that He is going to take care of this, not me. I'm not yours. We say to sin, I'm not yours, I'm God. That's our faith, is it not? Our faith becomes that shield that deflects those things. And listen, when we don't have faith, there is no deflection. We look at the world and we look at people in the world who have no hope, who do not know Christ, and they have no defense. They constantly are bombarded and they constantly give in because they have no other option. I was reading online this morning of a particular scholar, he's in Britain, and his whole life is dedicated to ridding the world of faith and religion. 
He doesn't care which religion. This morning he was, he was coming down on Muslims. Tomorrow it'll be Christians. Next week it'll be Jews. That's just what he does. That's his constant goal. And yet I saw an interview with him one time, and I was struck by the fact that he believed it was more likely that aliens had created the earth than there being an all-knowing supreme being. Aliens. Like little green men in a spaceship. He has more faith that there is intelligent life somewhere in the universe capable of traveling thousands, if not millions, of light years, which means traveling at the speed of light, which has never been accomplished by a human being, for hundreds, thousands of years. He has more faith that that is accurate than that God, or any supreme being for that matter, any being created the earth. Man has a lot of faith. He has a lot of faith in something that doesn't matter. He has a lot of faith in something that is fading away. He has a lot of faith in something that has no hope. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in proclaiming that there is no God and that we all go through this life and one day we will die and we will decay and we will turn back to dust and it didn't really matter. That the only legacy you can have is if you're remembered, if you do something great, if you can get your name written down somewhere and people remember you, that's the only hope. Friends, our faith is infinitely greater than that. Because our faith turns away it turns away the desires of sin. It turns away the attack from the evil one. It repels those fiery arrows. And of course, it's, it's, it's much, much more than that. It goes on forever and ever. It's about a hope that we have to be with God forever, to be with Christ, to have been redeemed by Him. If we're going to put on the full armor of God, we will put on our faith. And it will repel the attack. Next. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Again, Paul talks about in his letters about our mind being renewed. About God taking and making our mind new. You know, our mind, when, when we were born, our mind is bent towards sin. Our desire is for sin. Our desire is to disobey God. And when, when Christ comes into our life, he, he begins to take our mind and He renews it. He makes it more toward His mind. And so Paul says this helmet of salvation that we put on, this, this helmet that again protects us as we go into battle, this helmet that protects us from the attack that comes, it's a helmet of salvation. It's interesting, two of these defensive mechanisms that we have, this breastplate of righteousness and this, this helmet of salvation are, are guarding our heart. It's guarding our mind. As we have this attack that comes, it's our salvation. See, if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Him, there's, there's nothing there. There's nothing there to guard you. There's nothing there to take care of you. There's nothing there to watch over your mind as these attacks come. But, but when we are in Christ, we have this helmet. 
And he ties this helmet in with a second thing, the sword of the Spirit. Go back and look at the list. If you look at the list, what you don't see are a lot of offensive weapons. You don't have weapons that you take into battle when you're going on the attack. You got a sword, you got armor, you got a belt. None of those things are used for the attack. But he comes to the last one, and it is, it is the sword of the Spirit, which is, he says, the Word of God. See, in the end, in the end, friends, this is, this is the weapon that we have. It's not our politics. It's not our budgets. It's not our numbers. This is what we got. And let me promise you that there are days when we're going through difficulties, when there is a Christian who is sitting somewhere in Southeast Asia and he has one page of this book. He has one page of this book in his language. And on that day, that believer has more power than all of us combined. Because he pulled out this sword and he went into battle. I think this is a hard weapon for us to use. And the reason I say that is because it, it, it wouldn't be our weapon of first choice. This wouldn't be, we would, we would use eloquent words or we would use some type of, of power or some type of authority. We would, we, would, we would pick up something before we pick this up. And yet, within this book is all the knowledge of who God is that He has ever wanted us to know. Within this book is the power of God's Word. Within this book, we are able to proclaim that God has said certain things. That God has promised that all of those who call on His name, who turn their hearts to Him, who repent of their sin and believe, He has promised that all of them will be saved. Every single one. You can't find that promise anywhere else. You can't find that promise any other place. Our sword, the thing that we take into battle, is this book. The words of this book give us hope. The power of the one who this book proclaims gives us strength. If we're going to fight with this thing, we've got to be trained with it. You've got to read it. And not just read it, because if you just read it, it just becomes words. If you just memorize it, it just becomes words. You could know it all, front to back, and have no idea what's in it. There are scholars today who know it far better than any of us. They know how the words are put together. They know the structure. They know when it was written. They know who wrote it. They know everything about it, and they don't know it. But again, there are believers who pick it up and they read just a sentence and it changes their life. 
There are people, and I've heard stories, and you have as well, who have picked up this book, and they have never touched it before. They knew nothing about it, and they read words that change their life. Friends, if we're going to go into battle, if we're going to go into the spiritual battle that we face, if we're going to go into our world that is lost and dying, if we're going to go among people who are hurting, it will be with the words of this book. It will be proclaiming the one who this book proclaims. If we forget the sword, we're not going to make it through the battle. If we forget the Word of God, if we abandon it like so many churches have, if we give up on it, if we say it's not relevant, if we say it's lost its power, then we go into battle without the only sword God has offered us. Our pretty words won't work. Our money won't work. Our numbers are not going to cut it. Our political or social standing is not going to make the cut. Only if we take with us into battle, God's word will we prevail. And so that's the armor. It's the armor that God gives us. And he says, if we take it all, then we can withstand the evil day. And he says, we take it all together. We put it all on. And look what he says we do. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. Praying all of this stuff. All of these things. He says, put it on and what? Charge into battle. No, it's not what he says. Put it on and go run out and have the victory. That's not what he says. He says, put it on and pray. He says, put it on and pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Friends, you and I walk in the power of God. We walk in the spirit that God has given us. Even with this armor on, we do not walk by ourselves. Even with all this armor on, we, we do not march into battle alone. But we do so in prayer. Paul finishes out his letter by asking that they pray for him. That they pray that he would continue to preach boldly. Friends, that needs to be our prayer, that our brothers and sisters will continue to proclaim the message boldly, that they will preach the gospel of Christ with boldness, with excitement. And he ends with this. Look in verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. He's told them for verse after verse after verse about the love of God, the power of God. He's told them about how they can have strong churches and strong families. And he's told them, he's told them about this armor to put on. And so he closes out this letter. 
And he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Friends, God sent Christ to die for us. He sent him to die so that we could have strong families and strong churches and put on armor. And he, he sent him for all of those purposes. But most of all, he sent Christ who loved us with a love that was not fading and was never ending, a love that was willing to go and to die on the cross in our place. He sent him with that love so that we in turn could love him with a love that is incorruptible, a love that cannot be taken away from us, a love that can never be removed from us, a love that does not let us go, a love that does not turn its back on us, a love that does not push us away when we disobey. God sent Christ to die so that we could have that love. Friends, that's the love that he's given us. And that's the love he asked for in return. See, I think we have to be strong in God. We have to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might because if we do not, if we try to love him on our own, if we try to follow him on our own, if we try to get there in our own strength and power, we're never going to get there. We're never going to make it. We're never going to find our way. We're never going to trust in him. But, but, when we are strong in him, the love that we show is incorruptible. The love that we give to him is incorruptible. God never lets us go. And when he has a hold of us, when he has grabbed tightly upon us, we never let him go either. Friends, this morning we're going into a battle. You'll go in there again tomorrow. You'll go in before this day is over. You'll fight it somewhere. It will happen. It will come upon you. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for what's ahead? Have you set aside the things that hold you? Have you set aside your sin? Have you said, God, I am yours? Each one of us has fallen short of his glory. Each one of us has failed to trust in him. What he calls on us to do is to turn from our sin, to turn from our disobedience, and to believe. Believe that God sent Christ. Believe that Christ died for us. Believe that God raised him from the dead our source of salvation it's our source of strength have you believed that this morning will you bow your heads with me as we pray <laughs> heavenly father god we god we get we get tangled up in in this battle that we face. God, we, we struggle because it's hard. We, we live in an evil day. We live in a day that, God, sin is all around us. Temptation is all around us. God, my prayer this morning is that each person who's gathered here is prepared for the battle at hand. 
God, so often we, God, we read passages like this and we, we get in our minds some, some childish imagery. We, we think about, God, just, we think about things that aren't important. We, we think this sounds like it, it's for kids or it's, it's easy or it's childish, but God, you, God, you've seen the battle that we go through. And God, my prayer is that we are reminded this morning that for what is ahead, we must be prepared. God, you have loved us and you have given us the ability to love you and with a love that is incorruptible. But to do so, God, we must withstand the evil day. We must do so in your power and through the armor that you have given us, the whole armor. So, God, I pray during this time that you would show us, God, the deep need that we have for you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning as we get ready to sing, I want to invite you this morning to think about it like this. The battle that we go through is real. It's serious. Some of you know it very well. Some of you have not even been able to come off the battlefield this morning. You're still feeling it sitting right here. It's hard. It's difficult. We don't get through it easily. But God has promised us that we have power in His strength. We have power in His might and His ability. So this morning, my question is, if you're going through the battle and it feels like you're losing, is it because... You're trying to fight by yourself. I've been guilty of that. You've been guilty of that. It's, it's easiest to do it that way. It's, it's easiest to, to just go in there and try to make the best of it and try to get through it and, and try to fight it out. And God says, it's not going to work. See, if it's flesh and blood, if it, was just, if it was just me versus somebody else, it would be whoever could fight the best, whoever could, could, could win the battle. But that's not what it is. It doesn't matter if you're the toughest person in the world or if you're the weakest person there's ever been, if you're a child or an adult. That, that doesn't matter because the battle is a spiritual one. And unless we fight it with the things of God, we, we can't win. And so this morning as we sing, if that's you, would you cry out to God? Would you say, God, help me arm myself? God, help me fight in the power of your strength. Help me, help me go through this with you and not on my own. Our God is faithful. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. And he's there.